Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Strength and Recovery Podcast, sponsored by Recovery Centers of America. I'm Jay Rodenbush, Director of Alumni Engagement for RCA and host of this podcast. We're so excited to be joined today by an amazing group of individuals, and we're very privileged to have them with us. And we just wanted to talk about the holidays and recovery and such an important topic, such an amazing time of year, but also can be um, maybe a pain point. Can I say that, Jeff? I agree. Um, for for those, especially in early recovery. So just wanted to talk uh, uh, talk that through. And so I wanted them to introduce themselves. So Jeff, uh, yeah. start us out here. Hi guys, I'm Jeff Simone. Um, I work in the IT department here at RCA. Uh, I got sober on November 12, 2016. So I just celebrated seven years last month. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. So this is my eighth holiday season. And uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it's a great topic. I think there's gonna be a lot of good discussion and, and it's certainly something that uh, you know, a lot of people probably wanna hear about. So thanks awesome. for inviting me. So my name is Kevin Congdon. Hello, everyone. Um, I work here at the Admissions Department for Recovery Centers of America. Uh, also in recovery, uh, my clean date is May 7th, 2019. Uh, so we're coming up on uh, the, our fifth holiday season. Um, and I can definitely relate to this topic for sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Bob Gibson. I'm one of the alumni coordinators at Recovery Centers of America. Uh, I've been in recovery for a little over five years, and I'm really happy to be here to have this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll just launch into why do you think the recover the holidays um, are such a trigger? Yeah, I can start. I think that there's just a lot of emotion around it in general. You know, you know, stressors. I mean, tend to be one of the more, uh, you know highly correlated things with trouble in, in, in recovery. And, and there's no shortage of stressors around the holidays, you know, whether it's financial, whether it's work, whether it's just family, I mean, family, family's triggering, you know, it's like, it doesn't, and I say this a lot, it doesn't matter if the, you know, if there's drugs or alcohol at home necessarily, you know, sometimes people think, Oh, you know, I have a good family. My family's not going to, it's like, there's, there's stuff there. <laughs> right. I mean, I have a great family. Right. I have a wonderful family. Um, but the holidays, were hard you know they were they were hard despite that right it's like you don't have to be my family doesn't have to be offering me drugs you know for that to be a difficult situation and and, and it was and and um uh you know i i mean i know for me personally and like one of the first things that i start saying here like a lot of times is is just you know that you can say no to as many of these events or many of these things as possible right it's like a lot of people you know you know get themselves really really into oh you know what do i say to this one what do i okay i have to go to this holiday party they're going to be drinking there it's like okay there's there's plenty of situations where you're gonna be in a not so great uh scenario right mm -hmm. but that you can say no to a lot i mean this is about this is about saving your ass not your face first and foremost right you know it's like i tell a lot of people you might live to be you might live 50 more years right it's like You'll have plenty of time to go to all these things, to, you know, for the holiday season to be magical for you to feel like you're having like a great experience. If you say no, nobody's going to hold that against you, right? It's like practicing the no. No Just one's going to be able to say, oh, I'm, I can't make it. I remember back in 2023 when you didn't show up to that. Uh, <laughs> it's like, no one's going to, you know, but if you get drunk and you flip the table and you 
and punch that, this guy in the face, they're going to remember that. And that your no is enough, I think, can be... Yeah. I mean, I think that's what's setting any boundary. Not thinking, oh, I have to have 500 excuses. Just saying, oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it. And, right. And that that is sufficient. Right. I mean, I can't tell you how many things I said no to in the beginning. Um, and there's there there are little tricks, you know, that you can do. I mean... <clears throat> So I got sober on November 12th, okay, 2016. So that was a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. Um, uh, and I, and that was around here, you know, so, so prior to that, I had been introduced to recovery. Um, I was actually court ordered in May of 2013. All right. And I was living in Southern California and that was my first introduction. And, um, I mean, Southern California has some really good recovery. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed actually that I was introduced to the group of guys that I was introduced to. Now it didn't stick, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't quite, quite ready at that point, but, um, uh, that, that whole experience, you know, allowed me that once I did get sober in the, the Philadelphia area, um, I was able to plug in like really quick, you know, so, so we were taking on commitments and we, we would just go down to Mercy Hospital and Belmont Hospital and Friends Hospital that we had a lot of these things going, you know, so, uh, the one of them was on Thursday night and Thursday night happened to be Thanksgiving. Um, and I kept it right. So, so I think I went to Thanksgiving. We, you know, we did that for a couple hours with family. I mean, I was a couple weeks sober at this point. Right. So, I, and, and, and it was really, really bad, you know, draw, uh, like long withdrawals coming off of, you know, like dependencies on a lot of different things, opiates, amphetamines, muscle relaxers, benzos. So I was, it was not good. Um, but I was there, I kind of showed my face, you know, and then I left. And I left and we drove down the friend's hospital, right? So they, I wouldn't say that that was an excuse, you know, mm-hmm. to leave, but, but I, I didn't, but I let it work for me, right? You know, I know somebody who's saying, oh, you know, you can just, you can skip it, right? It's like, it's just one, we can get somebody to cover that for you. But I remember thinking like, no, I kind of want to use this, right? Because yeah. it's like, this lets me, I can show up to my family. We had dinner, it was very nice. Um, and then by the time any kind of you know, alcohol or really like anything else was going to be coming out, I was, I was out. So, uh, that was, uh, you know, I guess one of the things that I was able to use early on that seemed to help. Kevin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. So I, I think, uh, Jeff had a couple of good points. Um, you know, early in recovery, I, I remember, you know, the, the fear of showing up to family parties when knowing that there'd be family members there drinking. I think, you know, everyone in my family, for the most part, I'm the only one in recovery. I have, you know, 18 total cousins, mm. uh, big family. Um, and we, we really do cherish the holiday time. Like I enjoy this time of year for sure. Uh, but I recall being early in, you know, sobriety and just having that overwhelming, like nervous feeling, even like I I got clean in May. So I remember going down the beach that year with the family and people were going down to the beach with coolers. And, you know, I just had to learn how to like set healthy boundaries. Um, whether that was like, listen, I'm just going to come for an hour or two, um, until I felt the need that, you know, it was time to go, you know, once people started getting a little out of hand and whatnot. So that was important for me for sure. I, you know, having like a, how do you recognize that moment like yeah it's time for me to go and listen to it right like it's one thing to recognize it and then act on it yeah for me and i'll be honest like this was something i went you know talked in depth with my sponsor about back then and and i remember he's like listen the irish goodbye is okay Mm. (laughs) you know if if you're at that point where you're just starting to feel uncomfortable you don't need to explain yourself to anyone no one's gonna probably you know remember the next day that you left early or you didn't say goodbye you're gonna see them probably the next day at the next family party um, so just being able to, to be in tune with like um, when it was time. And another key point was I 
I actually, I remember my first year in recovery for those events. Like I actually brought someone along with me from like my support mm. group that was also in recovery. So I had someone there that we had like the common thing going on and, and we could kind of lean on each other. Like, you know, if I was feeling uncomfortable, um, it was time to go. I just, mm. we, we left. Just slip out. Yeah. Um, and then another, like kind of a hot topic now with, you know, four and a half years clean. Um, and Jeff t- touched on this is like, um, learning how to have like a healthy balance of all of the commitments and obligations because, you know, having all this, you know, clean time now and like wanting to be invited, like family members are now wanting me to be around and everyone's mm. inviting you to all these events, whether it's Pollyanna stuff, work yeah. events, um, you know, my girlfriend lives in North Jersey, so we have to travel a lot for, for some of these events and it's learning how to say no has been a difficult thing for me. My sister actually just gave birth to my, my first and only nephew. Um, this is my first experience being, you know, an uncle um, in recovery. I have no children myself, so I'm super excited about this. And there's all these other events that have been planned for months now mm-hmm. where I, I want to spend a lot of my time in the next few weeks, you know, going over to her house. So, um, you know, it's something me and my sponsor were talking about after a meeting last night, like, just learning how to say no, it's okay. Um, and, and not uh, and allowing yourself the permission to not get overscheduled. Exactly. Because, you know, for me, and I, this is for myself, like, I was a big people pleaser. Mm-hmm. So saying no was a difficult for me. And um, always wanting to show up. My mom, you know, like I said, family is super important to us. And I, last weekend she texted me, hey, we have our big family Pollyanna party next Saturday. And I said, I got to look at the schedule. I got to talk through some things and I got to get back to you. Um, and, you know, that's probably not something my mom wanted to hear because she, you know, she wrote back, well, what's go? Why not? Why would you not be there? This is our family party. Right. But I also have to keep like my my recovery in the forefront, too, right now. Like I had a commitment to speak at a meeting last night. These are also events after my 50 hour work week. Mm-hmm. Right. That I have to find time to schedule and do so. Um, I think for me, it's just learning how to navigate that balance because, like I said, like the more, the more that your, um, you know, your life becomes fuller and mm-hmm. you're and you're staying clean. Like the more opportunities that are presented, the more doors that open, and the more relationships you have. Your network gets so big between recovery folks, work folks, family folks, friends folks that it's it's it becomes a very difficult balance and act. And that's been my mm-hmm. experience. Bob, yeah, I think this. Great really speaks to you. I mean, I, I I see you as someone who lives a really disciplined life with your schedule. And um, can you talk a little bit about that and how that's how that's inter, interrelated to the holiday stuff? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess the thing that I've been thinking about while I was sitting here. So the way that it, when, when I was newer in recovery, I absolutely kind of agree with like what Jeff was saying. Like I just didn't go to things. Um, if I wasn't comfortable in my mind, it just like wasn't worth uh, risking my recovery. And uh so like alcoholics and addicts, like generally speaking, we're like an incredibly self-centered uh, group of people. And we think that like everyone's going to be like super concerned with like where we are and if we left early and why we weren't there. But the reality is like most of the time, like we're thinking about ourselves way more than anybody else is. So like these guys alluded to uh, the odds are like a year or two later after that event, nobody's going to even remember uh, that I was not there. Uh, the other thing as far as like just remaining disciplined in that routine. So, for example, my on Christmas this year my home group is on Christmas. They're not going to not have the meeting. Uh, and my family also like wants to have me because like these guys also mentioned, like my family wants me around. Uh, they like being around me today, which wasn't like always the case. Uh, but I had a conversation with them earlier this week and 
I'm going to go there. I'm going to have some food with them and I'm going to leave a little bit early to go to my home group. So like in, in reality, it's just another day. Like, uh, just because, uh, it's a holiday doesn't mean that I'm not going to do the things that I'm supposed to do to stay sober. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to talk to people on the phone. If it's my home group, especially, I'm still going to go to a meeting regardless. So, uh, just treating it like any other day. And then the other last thing I wanted to throw out. So another thing, this isn't my experience, uh, but it, it might be some other people's. There's going to be a lot of people in early recovery that might not have anywhere to go during the holidays. They might not be welcome with their family uh, or anywhere else because of some of the harms that we cause when we're out there using. So just putting it out, if you get yourself involved in like really any recovery fellowship in existence, they're normally doing things all day on the holidays, normally 24 hours straight. They're having meetings every hour. There's food. So if you don't have anywhere to go, I would just like try Googling your recovery fellowship of choice, seeing where there's meetings and they're probably doing stuff on the holidays. You'll have somewhere to go. That's awesome. Uh, and uh, several of you <clears throat> mentioned service, like as a part of, you know, having commitments to speak or um, has that been part of? Yeah. I mean, you know, and, uh, and I actually, my, my first year sober, I was just you know, sitting here thinking, I mean, that's, I mean, that was a God moment, right? Cause I was still sick. I mean, I was still actively. De- I've I had, I've been to treatment uh, this 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 past time. I mean, I, I, yeah, I kind of did it you know, more of like an outpatient setting. I mean, it was I don't I don't recommend that, right? But I was mm-hmm. I mean, I was sick. This meeting was at six o'clock in the morning, about forty five minutes from my house. Okay, which means that some guy picked me up. I had known him for a couple weeks now. Okay. He he was at my he was at my house, my apartment at, at the time at like five something in the morning, and I was there. I mean, it would be hard for me to do that today, right? It's hard for me to get up and be, you know, it's cold, it's dark. I was, a, I was whatever, 14, 17 days, still actively sick. And I did that, you know, wow. that was just when we talk about those little, just, just, just those little windows. I, I truly believe we get these, these windows of opportunity, you know, us, the addicted population, you know, get these little windows and, and, and it's like, they, you don't know how long the window is going to open and, and the, when it slams shut, you don't know if it's ever going to open again. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like that, that day, whatever that day was, November 20 something, uh, you know, 2016, when I had about 14 days, I was willing enough to, I don't even know if I slept, <laughs> I wasn't sleeping very much, but I was up and I was dressed enough to walk outside cold, you know, put a button, you know, I was freezing, shivering. And I walked out there and I got in and I sat in that room and, uh, it, it was, it was stuff like that that really helped, you know? And, uh, and you know, like Bob was saying nowadays, it's like, uh, if that is a commitment and if that commitment is, is going on on a certain date, it, it, it doesn't really matter what the mm-hmm. date is, right? It's like, if it's, you know, if, 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 if you're hosting for that month and it's a Friday and that Friday happens to be December, I don't know, 26 and there's going to be, it's like, you're going to that first, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, stuff like that's important. So you don't really have to run it through the filter of like, should I be doing this? It's kind of like, this is what I do, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I am doing this. And then if somebody asks you, you something else, you say, you know, maybe we can get together some other time. I, I you know, I'm chairing a meeting this day or, or you know, I'm speaking this day. We used to actually intentionally put ourselves on, you know, like around the holidays because, um, you know, again, it's like now... Now I do enjoy it. I, I have a I have a seven year old son and a five year old daughter. Um, 
you know, they say, don't make any major decisions your first year. I had a baby. So. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Yeah. Well, actually, I had the baby first. And, uh, um, awesome. and then you know, I, I, you know, I say, again, I, I don't recommend that. You know, I don't recommend uh, having a baby at home when you're, when you're trying to. But, but that's, that's, uh, that's the way that it was. And I actually love the fact that he's, you know, I have seven years. He has seven years. He under he understands it now, you know, that he has, I mean, not fully, obviously, but, but he asks questions, mm-hmm. you know, the big picture of him holding my seven-year chip, you know, big smile on his face, uh, that he knows stuff, you know, that he knows that like, when he was sick, daddy was, when he was born, daddy was sick, you know, that he knows, uh, he knows that there was a time where I, where I, uh, you know, couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't stop using drugs. And, and he, you know, kind of like understands just, the, just, just, just the ideas of like wanting to stop and, and he can't, you know, he's, uh, he's kind of old enough now just to be able to understand some of that stuff. But, you know, but those first couple of holidays, it's like, I had that thought in my head, very, very clear, you know, it's, it's so clear in my head of just, all right, you know, you're going to live 50 more years. So, you know, that 50 years was always in my head. You're going to live 50 more years. All right. This right now, this is just like a sacrifice, you know, for the greater good. Okay, so if you want the next 49 to be decent, to be you know, for you to be alive and actually, you know, potentially like enjoying these, you got to get this first one right. Mm-hmm. And I say that all the time. I mean, the, you know, the first year, it's like, you know, the expectation is be sober, you know, yeah. survive in advance. It's like nothing else. Not not be sober and <laughs> have a magical Christmas, <laughs> you know. You know, like nothing has to feel magical. It's, it's the pressure, I think, that we put on ourselves that these days need to be magical or they need to be special, you know, and, and they can be right. But just how do you remove the pressure? You have thoughts on that, Kevin? Well, I, you know, I was, I was thinking about that and, and, you know, you're talking about being in service uh, during the holiday season. And um, for me, right. Like um, my way of giving back is, is trying to be in service to, not only just like members of my fellowship, whether it's, you know, sponsees or, um, you know, other people that are in my support group, but um, like giving back to my loved ones, because I, I, th- I think back to the times where, and I, you know, I have to be transparent, like I've missed many of holidays in jails and institutions for, for a lo- very long time. Um, you know, there was a point in time where I was incarcerated for nine months and, you know, I remember my sister was graduating high school. I was sending like letters home. No one was returning my letters. No one was answering my phone calls. Nobody was, you know, sending money up for me. Um, And I was just in a very miserable and lonely place. But selfishly in that moment, like it was about me, me, me. Um, And, you know, with some time clean now, like you look back on those moments and just seeing how like excited my family is to have me be a part of now and how much they want me around. Thinking back, like, you know, all the family pictures, right? Like when I walk in my grandmother's house and I see all the holiday family pictures and there's everyone in the family, all the cousins, and I'm not in those pictures. And yes, it hurts me, but I got to think about like in my mother in those moments, like how upset my mom was that like her only son was not there to like participate um, and be a part of, of, of those life experiences, you know? So, so nowadays, like for me, um, I try to like give back, like being in service. Um, part of this is like giving back to those people that have, you know, been there for me too. Um, you know, so I, I try to take that into account, right. But when I'm scheduling all those events, like, um, it's just important for me to be there, um, participate and, uh, 
you know, just give back to those loved ones that uh, are excited to have me there. And how do you go about, I think a lot of families listen in um, and a lot of people are trying to navigate the family dynamic and maybe it's the first time that you're invited back or, uh, and, and families, they're not sure, like, do they serve alcohol? Do they not? Like everybody's kind of on eggshells, right? Mm-hmm. How do you have those conversations and say, Hey mom, here's what I need, or here's what you could, or like, talk us through that. Any, anyone's welcome. It's like, we don't, we don't have to go in a I'll circle. I'll slide in. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, this so, is Bob. Hi, everyone. It's Bob again. Uh, so I'll just like, once again, I can only really speak on my own experience with this uh, concept. So when I was uh, even like relatively early on in recovery, uh, I was kind of coached up by people who had been around longer than me. And um, the idea is not to you know, try to mold the world to fit me. Um, it's trying to kind of get myself to a place where I can fit into it, um, regardless of like what's going on around me, finding a way to like be okay and safe and stable within that. Uh, so for me, I personally didn't want people to act differently around me. Um, I don't want to go to a Thanksgiving or Christmas and have everybody walking on eggshells and think that they can't have a drink or two if they want. Um, the people that or in my family are, you know, quote unquote, normal drinkers. Uh, so I don't want them to feel like they have to change their behavior on account of me. Uh, but I will say they did, they would offer, um, which, you know, was appreciated and they would, they checked to see if I was comfortable, uh, which once again, I appreciated, but like really and what the does that thing, sound like? What is checking to see if you're comfortable? I think just really practically, like yeah. as a, as a mom or dealing with, or a sister, loved one. How do I talk to my brother who's coming in the door? Yeah. So now they, uh, you know, I've been sober a little while, so they're aware that like, it's not really something that's bothersome for me. But in the beginning, they would straight up just ask, um, Mm -hmm. they would just be like, Hey, does it make you uncomfortable that I'm drinking this? Um, Mm -hmm. and I would, you know, tell them the truth, but like really, once again, like this is just my, my perspective. Uh, people don't have to use it. Uh, um, you know, I can't like expect like the world to, to change and ebb and flow for me. I got to find a way to be okay within it. And it goes back to like, if I don't feel comfortable going somewhere, I'm not going. Uh-huh. And when it's time to leave, it's time to leave. Like these guys talked about the Irish exit. I was notorious for that when I was drunk. Um, I do it sober. I did it like very recently. Don't tell anybody, but I was at two weddings, like pretty recently. I know it's not a holiday, but it's like a similar uh-huh. event. There's mm-hmm. people are jovial. They're celebrating. Uh, and I always kind of have my, my thing where there's a turn and it happens at like every event that I'm at where people are drinking, where like it goes from where people are just like kind of feeling a little bit good and being a little silly to now they're drunk. Um, now they're like saying the same thing to me over and over again. Um, and once that starts to happen, that's for me, that's my, my signal to go. Um, I leave like when that change happens and like, you can just watch a room and like you can see it happen most people hit that point like kind of at the same time and then like i don't belong there anymore um that's kind of like my mindset and if you're going to an event with someone who's newly sober and what would your advice be um for that person who's accompanying someone maybe a spouse or like like a family member i think if i'm a family member going with my spouse who, who is newly in sober. recovery, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so first, I, mean, I like I like what what you know Bob was just saying just about um, 
you know, like the indications of when you should leave, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, when it gets like that. And, and I agree with that, especially in the beginning, you, you know, you need those little, um, I mean, I will say now, like, I, I don't, I don't stay long, like, not because I think that it's a risky, just because like, it's boring, right? It's like, I don't, I have no business. My time is valuable, <laughs> right? You got two kids at home. <laughs> yeah, my time is valuable. But each hour like I am intentional with, it's like, yeah. I'm only going to be places that I want to be or that I feel that I, you know, that I want to partake in something. So it's like if everybody, once in a while, there will be exceptions. Okay. So just maybe two weeks ago, my wife had a, uh, there was a surprise birthday party for her, okay, that her friends threw for her. So, yeah, I stayed there a little bit longer in terms of through the drinking stuff. But it's a very rarely does that happen. Um, you know, my wife is, um, yeah, she's not in recovery. Uh, yeah, she was, you know, just maybe would would drink, I mean, you know, quote unquote normally, right? Just to kind of whatever, mm-hmm. maybe regular people drink. I don't even know what that <laughs> looks like, but uh, whatever. But I will tell you that over the last seven years, I don't think we've had alcohol in the house. I mean, possibly ever, right? There's some people. Like, well, what if I have friends come over and I got it? It's like let them bring it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like they're. I can't even if we hosted a party, let them bring it. You know, if you don't, if you feel so uncomfortable showing up where there's not, not you know, not alcohol, then go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like that's so. Like that is how you could potentially support somebody if you don't have a problem. Um, I've also said to people, you know, they say, well, you know, I. My wife knows that I'm an alcoholic and, and I don't need, but she likes to drink once in a while. So, you know, she wants to keep it in the house. And, you know, sometimes I'll say things like, I mean, if she knows that if you drink, your entire household starts to fall apart and she is just going to bring it in anyway, despite that, you know, maybe she's got something to look at. I don't know. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know that my situation is, is a little bit different because it's more. I'm just more black and white with with mm-hmm. with some of that kind of stuff. It's a choice you've made as a family. Yeah, they, as a family, this is just it's not a family disease. Yeah, and a family recovery. Like you might find Gatorade in the fridge. You're not going to find mm. whiskey. Yeah, you're not yeah. going to find beer. I think, and this this kind of all ties back to why it's so important to have you know be involved in some sort of twelve step fellowship or have you know have that sober support network because. No one can really relate to the way we think, the way we feel in these situations other than people who have struggle with the same problem that we struggle with, who have experienced the same things that we have experienced with. Like everything that I've learned in life, like to this point with, you know, almost five years uh, clean at this point has come from someone in recovery, Um, like any adulting type stuff. Like I'm in the midst of, you know, house buying process and. My old, my old sponsor like, was the one who helped me build my credit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, going to these family events during the holiday season, it's not – I'm not going to go ask my 84-year-old grandmother like, hey, what are your thoughts on like um, if I'm feeling uncomfortable because Uncle Johnny's drinking this mm-hmm. weekend, right? Like she's not going to have the mm-hmm. answer for me that I'm looking for that's probably going to help me, you know? So this all ties back to why it's so important to have those people in your life, be it a sponsor, you know, be it other members of your fellowship that have experienced these same issues um, because they are the ones who can relate to this. Um, And so for me, like all of those uncomfortable conversations and how to navigate those relationships, whether it be with a significant other who still drinks or like those ideas are always bounced off of someone that's in my direct circle prior to that. I think that's amazing advice. And, I, you know, we work with alums and often new to recovery. I haven't got a sponsor yet. I haven't got a sponsor yet. 
how critical is going into the holidays getting a sponsor? Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's 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 the it's basically the the key to my to my whole recovery process. You know, I grew up. Uh, my father, you know, wasn't around for a majority of my life. Isn't to this point. I have a difficult time like opening up and, and getting vulnerable with men, like in especially in a group setting, like showing up to meetings. Um, it wasn't something I was great at, right? Like putting my hand up, participating, and getting actually honest on the floor about what's actually going on. And like through that sponsorship relationship that I've been able to like overcome that and like slowly open up about all types of issues, whether it's, you know, and I, you know, I don't, I'm not one to put my hand up in a meeting and put all of my business on the floor when it comes to like, it could be like sexual related, whatever it is, those things that maybe you're uncomfortable with putting on the floor, which, you know, for me, that's just not something I do, but I better sure have a relationship with someone, be it my sponsor that I can open up and discuss those topics with. Um, And so like those things don't keep me sick. So um, for me, like the sponsor piece is, it's really the meat and potatoes. This is someone who's going to walk you through the steps, someone that you're going to build a relationship with and those, you know, to guide you through the step process and, and through this whole process altogether. And I would say too, like if you, if you believe that addiction is a disease, okay, if you accept that and if you agree with the concept of the disease centers in our mind, not our body, well, then that is suggesting that there's, that our thinking is not right, mm-hmm. at least in the beginning, at least in the beginning, right? I think I'm not going to put a time limit on it, but I'll say <laughs> at least in the beginning. If that is true, then you can't use that same thinking to figure out what you should be doing your first sober holidays, for example, you know. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, there's like a line in the book that says uh, something like, uh, to the effect of, of if we're on firm spiritual ground, we can go anywhere, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. normal men go. And it's like, I remember reading that and saying to my sponsor after a couple of months, uh, you know, I think I'm on firm spiritual ground. He's like, I'll, I'll let you know when you're on firm spiritual ground, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, I think at this point, I could probably say with some certainty, you know, I said like earlier, I feel like my spirituality is a little bit off right now, right? It's like I think that I that I can kind of, you know, navigate that feeling myself. When you have a couple months sober, you can't, right? It's like you don't, you just don't know that you haven't been sober long enough to know what stable feels like. And the brain is healing. You mm. just don't know what that is, right? It's like you might not have been stable for fifteen years in terms of of, of real like emotional stability. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to use that same brain now? at six weeks sober, going into your first Christmas to really be able to determine, I should go here, I shouldn't go here. So like Kevin was saying, it's like you need other people, you know, who, who you, you know, like trust and respect. I and mean, that's the biggest thing. If, if you are in somebody with active addiction and you don't trust and respect this person, you're not going to follow what they say anyway. And it can be really scary. Somebody can say, well, I have a great supportive family. I can just talk to my wife mm-hmm. about this. I can talk to my husband about this. However, that can be really scary for them to hear, well, I'm feeling Mm. tempted at this moment or I'm so, I mean, is that sponsor give you kind of a safe space to share things that maybe that supportive family should or shouldn't be involved in? How does that work? Because you're supposed to be open with your spouse. Who wants to take that one? Everybody's pointing at each other. (laughs) Go Uh, for it. Yeah, so... That's interesting that you brought that up, Jay. It's actually like a really good point. It's something that I talk about with alums all the time before mm-hmm. they leave treatment. And it's just like a suggestion that I had received from others previously, uh, which is everything I know about everything recovery related. And honestly, like life-wise at this point is things that I just heard other people say or that I was taught and nothing is like original from me at all. Um, but like the one thing, uh, 
I explain to patients all the time, like if I'm thinking about, let's say, using heroin, um, which like occasionally I have thoughts. Um, I no longer have an obsession. Um, I don't go do it, which is like the difference. But like the thought comes sometimes. Uh, and if I were to have that thought and then call my mother and just say, like, hey, mom, how's it going? Um, just thinking about using heroin. Just thought right. I wanted to let you know. Um, my mom. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she doesn't need that. Um, she's probably not going to sleep for like a month um, yeah. if I say that to her with like the amount of trauma that I've put her through. Uh, but like if I say that to somebody else in recovery, uh, they're probably not even going to blink. Um, I have people that I've worked with over the years that will reach out to me when they're thinking about using it. It's not that like I don't care. Um, it's not that I'm empathetic, but like I'm so used to that type of event happening. And I've been around long enough that I know that just because they're thinking about it doesn't mean that they're going to do it. That it's not going to rock my world. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to like affect my sleep. I'm not going to become overly emotional afterwards. But like somebody who's not in recovery, their reaction might not be good. Um, it might freak them out. So better to just like, doesn't necessarily have to be a sponsor, um, but like somebody else in recovery that gets it, that knows that like, hey, I thought this necessarily mean like it, there's going to be an action afterwards. And understanding your mom's relationship and her role in your life is different than the role that a sponsor, someone you're allowing, a therapist is going to be able to speak into your life in a different way yep. and and handle that responsibility. There's there's a lot of responsibility associated with a statement like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's I mean, there's good chapters in the big book, you know, to wives, to the family afterwards. Yeah. And, it, and it kind of addresses some of these exact things. Right. And, and there's a, I mean, family dynamics are are huge. What I love about those chapters, actually, is that. I mean, just think about like how much the world has changed, right, in the last 90 whatever years since the big book was published, you know, 1939. But yet you could read these chapters about just, you know, some, some little group in Akron, Ohio that was meeting 90 years ago. And the stuff still applies, right? So that's why you can see that. Principles. That, okay, these are just, yeah, these are just kind of general, the human nature of addiction as we know it is, is sort of the same, right? Like these same kind of ideas and. Um, yeah, I do think that you need to be leaning on other people that, that you can identify have had your same issue, you know, your same problem. Because, uh, again, I mean, it's not, you know, if, if you were with your spouse before and, and, and you were using and now you're not. Yeah, it's like if, if this spouse or mother or anybody else, for his, if their love was able to save you and mm -hmm. cure you, right, we wouldn't be having this problem. You know, you know, it's like we, we are loved people, you know, people that we have people that are in our lives. You know, it's like there's, there's something else going on here. Um, part of that, yeah, sponsorship thing. It's, it's a, it's a, you need to be surrounded by people. Also just the fact that they, by nature, the family can't possibly know all the, the alcohol was not my, my drug of choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's like, why? Should alcohol even be like a thing for my family? You know, why should they even think think twice about alcohol? You know, it's like that's not just like intuitive for family members. You know, if mm -hmm. you're, yeah, I mean, if your thing is opiates, and that was what drove you into, you know, that's what got you in trouble with the law. That's what, you know, that's what got you in jail. That's what made you lose your job. Mm -hmm. All like all that kind of stuff. And 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 these people have seen you drinking casually at least right from the time that you were younger. It's like why shouldn't you be able to do that now? Mm -hmm. And it's like. That we can't possibly expect that family is going to understand because like, a lot of this stuff is sort of beyond, <laughs> you know, beyond uh, just 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 common knowledge. Even the people that are, that have their ear to the grindstone and that you know maybe show up to some stuff. I mean, some some family members are more 
you know, more plugged in with their own recoveries and Al-Anon you know, you know, you know, programs, for mm-hmm. example. And that helps, by the way. I mean, I, I, I encourage family all the time to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to, you know, think there. Uh, just like we're not able to think our way out of it, the family is not going to be able to think their way into, into yeah. saving you either. And, and that stuff's important. Talk a little bit about, or maybe to the family, the the individual in active addiction, and going into the holidays again, it, it just adds a layer of stress. Um, what are some advice, or what's some advice that you would give to families whose loved one is in active addiction? Yeah, I can kind of elaborate on that one. Um, you know, obviously, this is something that I deal with on a day in and day day out basis here at work. But um, just from Kevin, my experience, you, you were helping yeah. families, yeah, who they're looking to get their loved one in treatment, right? Sure. So you know, people, families call in um, every day, right? I have a my son, cousin, brother, girlfriend that's struggling. I have no idea what to do. No idea how to help. Um, and it's difficult. I've, I've had personal experience with this as well with, you know, sponsees, friends, family. Um, but most importantly, like from my experience, right, and I'm just thinking back to this, like I think setting healthy boundaries is like the best suggestion that I can honestly give to someone in that situation. You know, for me, it was like so many times uh, my like my grandmother will call it right, like enable me to just continue to show up at the house, like left treatment AMA had a place to go back and knock on the door the next morning, right? Like if I needed to finesse my way into getting money again, like that was there. Um, and like, so I think for me that the best recommendation is you just have to learn how to put your foot down and set healthy boundaries. It's, it's difficult to do because I know we like love these people unconditionally. Um, but for me, for, for, for this addict alcoholic, like until the consequences were great enough and, you know, I had – burnt those bridges and had nowhere else to turn. Um, and you know, I have like emotional and physical scars, right. For, from, from my using and, and for me, it was like, till the consequences got great enough. Um, I, I wasn't, I just wasn't ready. Um, you know, doors were still open, um, places to sleep, people to call money to get. Um, so I just, I just think that the healthy boundary piece is, is the most important one. And I, and I know that that's easier said than done sometimes, uh, whether it's a, you know, and it's going back yeah. to just exercising the right to say no. Yep. Absolutely. And knowing that that is not necessarily a bad thing or something that's going to increase the problem. And, and Jeff talked about that, those Naranon and Alanon programs that loved ones and families can go to. I remember for me, um, s- someone recommended that for my grandmother and my mom. And I remember they went there and they were blown away. They, they were so upset leaving there because people told them the truth. Like, wow. you know, because sometimes it's not just me that's the problem as the addict and alcoholic. Like if, if we're someone that's enabling that behavior and, and sometimes, you know, there's, there's a lot of psychology in, in a lot of different situations, but sometimes the codependency piece is another factor, right? Like we're just scared to let them go because we're, we're scared to be lonely too. My grandma maybe didn't want to sit through the holidays by herself because she wanted me in that house whether I was using or not. Um, so it's just a different dynamic to look at. But those those Naranon and Alanon meetings, they, they give very good like insight and perspective. It's literally just other moms and dads who have been from, through this before, whether 
whether their son or daughter's actively using, they could be in that group because their son and daughter has significant amounts of clean time, or they could be in that group, their their loved one passed away from this disease. So um, I would I would recommend that for any family members to kind of go there and get the information for sure. And that is a that is a 12-step fellowship for loved ones, not necessarily struggling with addiction, but a, a support group for you to go and, and talk to. So that would be my recommendation. Um, I just wanted to slide in on a, another idea. Um, so the one thing I would throw out too, so if you, if you are the loved one of somebody who's in active addiction and they, you get like that window. So Jeff alluded to it earlier, like there's these like small little like windows of opportunity where like a, you know, an alcoholic or an addict might have like a moment of clarity. Uh, and it's normally like very brief where they might like kind of see their life for what it is for a moment. Uh, we're like very delusional when we're using, uh, but sometimes we have these moments and if they have one of those moments and they're talking about wanting to get treatment, uh, highly suggest not telling them like, oh, well, like, why don't you go after the holiday? Um, because they might lose that willingness to go get help in 10 minutes, um, let alone like four days, five days. Uh, so if somebody's willing to go, I would strongly advise not trying to make them wait uh, to go through a holiday first. And secondly, if they are in treatment and there's a holiday coming up, not pulling them out to make uh, it to the holiday, like let them finish their course of treatment. Uh, my situation, like the first time I went to a detox was right before Thanksgiving. And uh, I kind of weaponized that to get out of there before I should have. Um, mm -hmm. I went in there, I stayed for five days. And then, you know, I appealed to my mother that I can't miss Thanksgiving. So you have to, you know, you have to let me come home. I, I can't possibly be in here for Thanksgiving. So I came home way, way sooner than I was supposed to. And I didn't stay sober. But once again, like it was, it was talked about going to those programs for the loved ones uh, of the alcoholic or, or addict. If my mother had been going to one of those, she would have known better. Um, she would have known that she shouldn't have pulled me out of there. Uh, so just putting that out as well. And, and, and talk a little bit about the importance. I think so many times people think, well, I got the, the substance or the the alcohol. I got the that out of my body. So I'm good, right? I detoxed. I went to a program for seven to 10 days. The, the drug is out of my system, so I'm okay now, um, and I can go home. Why is, why is staying in treatment? Why is, why is that so important? Do you want to take that, Jeff? I, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I, so I, I will say that the first time most uh, there are a lot of folks who, who, who will end up in some type of treatment multiple times. You know, that's, uh -huh. that, that's common. I will say that the majority of people, myself included, uh, prior to that first time getting in, that like, you really do think that the problem is the drugs. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, because the, why wouldn't you? The, 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 most of your problems seem to be caused by the drugs. You know, you're spending all your money on the drugs. The cops are on your case because of the drugs, right? It's like they're not on you because you're thinking goofy. You know, they're on you because you're doing this because of the drugs. So that was what I thought that the problem was and, and, and for many, many years, you know, and I really, like, I became obsessed with this idea. I remember having this, this very, very clear picture. Like if you could just put me in, in some kind of like a medically induced coma, okay? Because I was, I mean, I was chemically dependent, you know, strung out on, mm -hmm. on opiates, okay? I, I tried to stop, I couldn't, I got sick and I was working, right? So just the whole, I can't leave, I can't take time off from work. What are they going to do without me? You know, it turns out they fired me and they were fine. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the biggest companies. You know, they're doing fine. Their stocks prices are still okay, despite the fact that I'm not with the company. 
Uh, but I remember thinking, like, if I could just be in this, you know, one year, right? Put me, you know, feed me through a tube and just, and I can wake up after a year and I'm totally cleaned out like I was when I was like 15 and I could just walk out and be totally fine. And, and I did get brought into this treatment, you know, against my will at the time, but sometimes it has to be like that. Uh, and I finished the detox and I was actually court ordered to do three months, which is you know, still not happy about that decision. But yeah, I told my first sponsor, this is cruel and unusual punishment. He said, listening to you is cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I said, three months, come on. Sounds like a good sponsor. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I did the, you know, three months and I came out and, and I was still, I mean, I was as sober as, as I am right now physically, you know, I was completely cleaned out of everything, you know, like nothing stronger than caffeine in my body for three months. And I came out and, I mean, I ended up relapsing after just a couple of days, really. Um, but then after that first time, you know, that's when I realized that there's more going on than, than just, mm-hmm. the, you know what I mean? Because cause it's like when you when you start using after having not used for a couple hours and you're sick, well, you can say that's because of the drug, you know, the whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, and, you know, the phenomenon of craving and all the stuff that comes on when the, when the drugs are still flowing through your system. But what happens when you have months and months mm-hmm. of absence from the stuff and then you pick right back up? It's like, well, there's, there's something else going on. And um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to... Uh, to convince somebody that, you know, somebody who has not experienced it themselves, right? That, mm-hmm. that the, you know, the alcohol is just a symbol of your problems, you know, the real, the real disease centers in your brain, not your body. And it's, um, uh, I agree with Bob though, you know, if, if a family can, can, can do anything over that time, it's not, don't put any hurdles in front of this person, you know, say like we, this is, this is a disease of guilt and shame. I mean, we, we are the kings and queens of doing that to ourselves you know so we don't need anything like, you know oh but your aunt molly loves the cookies you bake she wants to see you. like none of that crap <laughs> you know just yeah. if this guy just wants to disappear into his 12-step community or into the you know whatever community for a couple months and then appear pray that that is the case mm-hmm. you know pray that that might happen i mean you know really keep expectations low um you know, to answer your your first question, you said about like an active, that's a lot harder, mm-hmm. right? The, you know, those situations are all going to be just case by case. I mean, yeah. I mean um, you know, I've never had personal experience with a child, right, who, who, who is in, in active addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I never pretend to understand what, say, you know, the immediate family or the parents are going through. And I can't, I can't imagine it. Um, I will say there is an incredible book, you know, it's in the realm of Hungry Ghosts. You might have heard of it. Uh, the Gabor Mate wrote it. He's got a chapter at the end um, and, and it's talking precisely to families of a person who's actively addicted. And mm-hmm. and I think that if you read that chapter, you know, that that sums it up about as well as I've heard anybody. Mm-hmm. He's an addiction researcher. He used to work in the downtown east side of Vancouver, which to my knowledge was the only open air drug market that could rival Kensington, right? It's a, you know, so like if you're, you know, if you're familiar with Kensington, it's, a, it's extremely like unique place. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't think there's anywhere else in this country, at least that's quite like it, but this place is like that. Right. So, so he worked there, you know, it's, you know, you know a lot of folks who are not necessarily trying to get sober. I mean, they're just maybe trying to not die that day mm-hmm. is kind of what the, uh, what it boils down to. And, and, and he talks to family members, right? Like what, what you can do because it's very very hard for families and now uh, how do we uh, discern or and maybe there is no way but if our loved one is in early recovery from what is isolation like hey i'm gonna go sit in my room and i need to be out of the room versus what is self-care or working their program or how do you balance that 
because I think a lot of times loved ones, family members, like we start doing the overscheduling and we're going to be with you all the time and we're going to hold your hand through this. Um, talk about that a little bit. I can, I can recall back when, when, you know, I was first engulfed into this recovery process and those events came up, right? Like the speaker jams or the marathon meetings, um, that, that took priority, like, cause I had to put my recovery first. And I remember, you know, family members being disappointed that I wasn't going to make every single party. Um, but the, the reality is like, as a loved one, you, you, the first, like, especially when you're new in this process, like you, like we talk about the 90 meetings in 90 days and, you know, the getting the, of the sponsor. Um, it's so important for, for your, the person who's, you know, beginning in this recovery process to start like spreading their wings and really trying to get embedded into this, you know, recovery world. So like, you know, there's a healthy balance between like you talked about like, oh, you know, over scheduling and also being understanding that like if there's something that's prioritized, like whether, you know, it could be a commitment at a meeting, going to a meeting, maybe it's just maybe they just want to go and enjoy some time with their with their fellowship folks. Mm -hmm. Like because I remember there was times where we just wanted like, you know, six or seven of my buddies. We just we plan to do something for that weekend. And so I just think you have to understand the importance of like allowing your loved one who's engulfing into this recovery process to like allow them their space to try to do that and uh you know yeah just allow them to, to do that that's awesome any last thoughts we have here as we wrap up yeah yeah I'm, Go, Jeff, you know, this. one other yeah one other point i think too that, that you know, it's important is is for the actual person who's trying to not drink or use other drugs mm -hmm. uh is is to make that kind of declaration in your head like that day they make it firm right so so you know i was just talking to somebody recently and um you know everybody's experience here is different i mean my my thing happened to be pretty kind of big news right so everybody my all my family and friends kind of found out overnight right mm -hmm. so that took away the i wasn't telling anybody i mean my stuff was very hidden you know in terms of 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 what I was choosing to tell people right but but then there was something that happened that and kind of everybody found out overnight all right so which was horrible at the time. Now, like looking back, what an advantage that is, really, right? Because you don't have to worry anymore. Oh, what do I tell him? What do I tell her? How do I say this? It's like everybody knew. Okay, <laughs> crap. So that's not good. But you know, now looking back, I think okay, that's that makes that made it easier. Mm -hmm. I was talking to this woman, and so like nobody really knows the, the her situation. You know, she she. Um, uh, she drinks wine casually with them, right? But then she'll do like the bottle before and a bottle after, like in secret kind of thing. And, and her problem is is serious, but uh, everybody doesn't know about it. So so she goes to this party and she says to you know, to them, like in the beginning, she, she had about, I don't know, 10 days sober at this point or something. And she was saying, um, uh, you know, guys, I, I, I'm really trying not to drink right now, okay? I think she used those words. I'm, I'm really trying not to drink right now. That's about as firm as she and and you know so the maybe the first or second time they brought the bottle out she she passed right because oh, i'm trying not to drink right now and then as they were getting a little bit more tipsy they offered it to her again like a little bit stronger and then she drank and then you know kind of set her off on this little spiral right but but i, you know, I recommend people just be be firm you mm -hmm. know it's i mean it's hard sometimes but like if it's alcohol right i am not drinking mm-hmm that's it. That's it, right? It, it, most people are not going to be pushing you like any more than that. Um, do you want to drink? No, thank you, right? So 
you know, for the people who might not know that you're in recovery and say, oh, what do I say when my friend asks me or what? No, thank you. Most of the time that works, right? It's like the majority of people aren't, aren't thinking enough about you to push on that anymore. Why aren't you drinking? Do you have a, uh, my first sponsor too, he would say, like if somebody would say to him, why, do you have a problem uh, with alcohol? And he, uh, he would say, no, do you? <laughs> right? you know, that was, he would just spin it yeah. back on. This is, I mean, somebody who doesn't know his situation. This right. is somebody casual. And, and, and people, you know, we really get like in our heads a lot about what do I say? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, most of the time, and hopefully, I'm not drinking. Hopefully, as a culture, we're getting better about not asking why. Uh, but there, and the stigma, you know, is reducing, but it still exists. But uh, obviously, just being able to say no or being able to say I'm in recovery can can solve a lot of problems. So. And I'll just kind of end with, um, I, I you know, I was doing a lot of. Ref- reflecting, you know, as the year end approaches. Um, and it's, you know, like I think back to early recovery and all those like uncomfortable decisions that I made and did all those things that I necessarily didn't want to do, whether it was those commitments and those, um, you know, the recovery house going there after, after treatment. And, um, just like year over year incrementally. And, and I don't know, like this year has just been like a huge milestone in so many areas, like professionally, uh, you know, relationship, there's just a ton of things that have been happening over the last year, but like every year I incrementally have seen growth and I, and I look back and I just think about like how much clarity I've gained and how much self-awareness that I've gained, um, just year over year by doing those uncomfortable things and, you know, making some of those small sacrifices. So, you know, if you're, if you're new, new to recovery, um, I just think it's important. Like I said, just for me, get to a meeting, put your hand up and get vulnerable and just introduce yourself and allow, allow people in in whatever fellowship you choose to do to just support you through this process. That's good. Bob, any last thoughts? Sure. Uh, so I guess kind of to backtrack a little bit, we were talking about what like the loved one of a person in early recovery should like kind of yeah. be doing. Like if you guys are going to an event together and I just wanted to put out like I would have a conversation like before you go um, about like, so let's say uh, your your person that's in early recovery is telling you, hey, like there, there's a possibility that I might feel uncomfortable here and, and I might want to leave early. So if you're not in a place where you're okay with that. Like if you're like, well, no, this is my family and I really mm-hmm. want to be there. I don't want to have to leave. That's fine. Just figure out a way that you guys can leave separately then. Mm-hmm. Um, like have an, an alternative plan if you're not ready to go when they are. Uh, and if you do decide like, hey, like whenever you feel uncomfortable, we'll get out of there. Like I'm here to support you if that's the route that you choose to take. When they do bring it up, like don't fight them. You know what I mean? Like stick to like what you actually said. Um, but once again, like there's, there's always like options. Uh, if you're in, not comfortable with leaving early, then just find a way that they can get home safely, separately, if that's what you have to do. Bob, Kevin, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been really, really powerful stuff and and, and great information for families and, and those um, in recovery. So appreciate your time and your willingness to do this. We typically end with favorite recovery quote, but since it's the holidays, favorite holiday song. Favorite holiday song. Do you have one? For me, it's like that. I don't even know what it's called. I just like the the Siberian Orchestra. Stuff. Oh, oh, yeah, that's sure. good. Yeah. I want to go to yeah. one of those concerts. Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know if I could handle uh, ninety minutes of it though. That'd be I tough. love it. I like it. I'm gonna have to try. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to go with Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. Oh, oh my classic. God. <laughs> <laughs> we got to end it right there. <laughs> I can't think of a song. I will say show Christmas Carol. You know, we're going to see Christmas Carol at the Walnut Theater tomorrow. Nice. I'm super excited for that. Awesome. So I'm sure we'll break out some some songs as well. They but might. just that whole idea, right? The whole redemption story. I, yeah. I'm a sucker for it. So. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. If you or someone you know needs help, please call 1-833-RCA-ALUM. There are people like Kevin, Bob, standing by, Jeff, to help um, you or your loved one access care. Thank you. Join us next time. Thank you for listening to the Strength and Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tap the subscribe button and leave us a review. We love hearing from our listeners and hope to reach more of you out there as we continue to share these incredible stories of recovery. The RCA alumni team aims to provide a safe, supportive environment for those in the recovery community, regardless of their affiliation with RCA. We host a full calendar of virtual and in-person meetings seven days a week, 365 days a year, as well as free sober events every month. To learn more about what we do, find us at rcaalumni.com. Remember, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, pick up the phone and dial 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Help is available 24-7. Listen to another episode now or join us next time for the Strength and Recovery podcast.